Warning. The following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. So, how's it going? It's going. I just can't find what I'm looking for. What exactly are you looking for? I want a bag that I can fit your book, our playbills and pens, and my phone for the theater, and then during the day I can fit a few more things. A multi-use bag. How about this one? No, I don't like the color. This one? Mm, I can't buy that designer in good conscience. Maybe this one. That's a scarf, not a bag. Well, let's just keep looking. I know we'll find something. After all, this is Macy's, and you know what they say. Ugh, everything's, everything's better at Macy's. Macy's. They're, They're known as the quality store. Hey, hey! Can we do that on our podcast? It's our podcast. We can do what we want. Besides, I can't help it. It's catchy. Ooh, maybe this one. That looks nice. And the color makes it doable for both day and night. Who knows? Maybe it'll be like one of those bags that never is never ending, so you can keep anything and everything in there. All I need is a parrot head umbrella to complete the ensemble. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are discussing the hit Disney show, Mary Poppins. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. We've got a good one on deck for you today. You might say that this episode is practically perfect in every way. If you haven't figured it out yet, we are going to be diving deep into the world of Mary Poppins the Musical. This would mark the sixth production that Disney would mount on Broadway, and it would again amaze audiences and use Disney magic to turn the musical upside down and soaring to new heights. But first, let's lay a little groundwork. The musical is based on the similarly titled Mary Poppins children's books by P.L. Travers and the 1964 Disney film. It is a fusion of various elements from the two, including songs from the film. In 1993, theatrical producer Cameron McIntosh met P.L. Travers and acquired the rights to develop a stage play adaptation of her Mary Poppins books. She only agreed to a stage production as long as the creators were all English and had not worked on the Disney film adaptation. She died in 1996. In 2001, Macintosh and Thomas Shoemaker, uh, head of Disney Theatrical, opened talks on a possible collaboration so that the stage play would be able to use the songs from the Disney film. With both sides committed, a preliminary outline of the show was written in 2002. Around this time, 
songwriters George Stiles and Anthony Drew heard about the project and independently wrote a demo version of a new introductory song for the character of Mary, titled Practically Perfect. They submitted the song to Macintosh, and due to his positive response, were officially brought on to the creative team. Julian Fellows was brought on to write the show's script because of his clear understanding of the social niceties of the English class system that prevailed in the Edwardian era. An experienced production team was assembled, including Sir Richard Eyre, multi-award winning director of film, theater, and opera, and Bob Crowley, a theater designer who worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company, the National Theater, the Royal Ballet, and the Royal Opera. A workshop of the show was held at the end of 2003 at the rehearsal room at London's Old Vic Theatre, using the cast of My Fair Lady, which had just closed in the West End. After four weeks of rehearsals at Sadler's Wells, the production moved to Bristol, where an out-of-town tryout opened at the Bristol Hippodrome on September 15, 2004. Cameron McIntosh's stage adaptation of Mary Poppins had its world premiere at the Bristol Hippodrome, starting with previews from September 15th to 2000. Uh, sorry, September 15th, 2004, before officially opening on September 18th for a limited engagement until November 6th. The production then moved to the Edward, the Prince Edward Theatre on December 15th, 2004, making it only the only Disney musical to have premiered in the UK. The show now made its way across the pond to Broadway. So at this point, we should probably introduce our design team. The book was by Julian Fellows, music and lyrics by Richard M. Sherman and Robert B. Sherman, new songs and additional music by George Stiles and Anthony Drew, directed by Richard Eyre, choreographed by Matthew Bourne and Stephen Muir, Scenic and costume design by Bob Crowley. Lighting design by Howard Harrison. Sound design by Steve Canyon Kennedy. Wigs by Angela Coben. Makeup by Naomi Don. The show would arrive at the New Amsterdam Theater on November 16, 2006. It would remain there for over six years and 2,619 performances, closing on March 3, 2013 to make way for Disney's latest show, which occupies the theater, Aladdin. The show would receive seven Tony Award nominations and would fly away that evening with the award for Best Scenic Design for Bob Crowley. So with that, let's delve into our story. many professions, introduces the audience to Cherry Tree Lane in Edwardian London. Number 17 is where the Banks family lives. George and Winifred Banks, their two naughty children, Jane and Michael, their cook-slash-maid, Mrs. Brill, and their houseboy, Robertson I. Things are not going well for Jane and Michael. They are out of control, and as the show starts, their latest nanny, Katie Nana, storms out. After that, Mrs. Brill and Roberts and I complain about living in a madhouse. The children decide to write 
the advertisement for a new nanny. But George, having a very different idea of what constitutes the perfect nanny, tears up the pieces of paper and throws it into the fireplace. The family all reflect on if they will ever find the perfect nanny. Within moments, Mary Poppins arrives, restored advertisement in hand, and takes charge of the bank's children, having every confidence in her own qualifications and merits. On the children's first outing to the park, they meet Bert, and despite their reservations, Mary teaches them that they must look past appearances. To illustrate the point, Mary brings the park statues, including the mytholo- a mythological feature- figure named Nelius, to life. A storm starts to brew, and the children quickly hurry home, but not before Nelius mentions how much he misses his father. While Mary manages the children, other problems lie with their parents. Winifred is aware that she is somehow disappointing both her children and her husband. George, on the other hand, can't understand why she finds the role of wife and mother so difficult. In an effort to please her husband, Winifred sends out invitations for a smart tea party. Miss Brill makes the preparations while telling the eager Robertson I to keep his hands off. The children inadvertently sabotage the kitchen preparations, but Mary sorts it out with a lesson. However, it is then revealed that none of the invitees are coming, and Winifred reflects on her failure at pleasing George. Mary takes the children to visit their father at the bank where he works. There, George is busy dealing with possible investment clients. Firstly, an ambitious man named Herr von Hustler with an elaborate money-making scheme, and then a middle-aged, a middle-class man named John Northbrook with a simple factory project. George is furious when Mary turns up with the children, but an innocent question asked by Jane, what's more important, a good man or a good idea, makes him realize how much his values have changed since he was an idealistic young man. He then decides to accept Northbrook's project and rejects Von Hustler's, even though he knows the bank disapproves. Outside St. Paul's Cathedral, Mary introduces the children to the Bird Woman. Jane is suspicious of her, but Michael responds to the Bird Woman and throws crumbs for the birds. On the trip home, the children meet the enmatic Mrs. Corey, who runs a magic sweet shop that also sells words. The children return home in high spirits, unaware that things have gone wrong for their father. Unknown to them... George's decision to reject Von Hustler has cost the bank dearly, and he is suspended without pay. George explodes with rage at the children, and they are sent to the nursery. Reacting to their father's outburst, Mary briefly points out that, that other members of the family are rarely there to take care of the parents before Jane and Michael get into a fight over Jane's doll Valentine, prompting a displeased Mary to order them to bed and enchant them to sleep. The frightening consequence of Jane's anger becomes apparent uh, moments afterwards as Valentine and the rest of Jane and Michael's disgruntled toys come to life and join Mary in teaching them a lesson and how to take better care of their belongings and toys. Believing that Jane and Michael need personal growth, Mary decides to leave Cherry Tree Lane to bring them to their senses. Her distraught charges find a note saying that perhaps maybe they will see Mary again eventually. Jane and Michael wake up to find Mary Poppins and their toys gone, 
leaving only a note on the floor. It reads, Dear Jane and Michael, keep playing the game. Au revoir, Mary Poppins. Mrs. Brill sees them awake, and when asked about what au revoir means, she tells them it means till we meet again. She sends them in for bed. Act 2 starts in a misguided attempt to please her husband, Winifred arranges for his childhood nanny, Miss Andrew, to, to take over for the sudden departed Mary. At the sight of her, a terrified George flees, exclaiming, The Holy Terror! To everyone's shock and dismay, he is right. Miss Andrew is a brutal and cruel tyrant, quick to administer her own terrible elixir and discipline by threatening to split Jane and Michael up by taking charge of Jane and sending Michael to boarding school. After Miss Andrew goes to her room, Jane and Michael decide that running away is the only solution. The children find their good friend Bert, who cheers them up and helps Michael fulfill his dream of flying a kite. Mary Poppins flies in on the kite from the sky and reunites with the children. They update her on Miss Andrew, and she takes them home, planning to surprise Andrew. Also hiding in the park is George, who is depressed over his supposed lack of achievements. Searching for him is Winifred, who at last understands her husband and the damage that was done to him by Miss Andrew. When the children return to number 17, Mary sets... Caruso, Miss Andrew's lark, free from its cage. This leads to a confrontation between the two nannies, ending with Miss Andrew having a taste of her own medicine as she is trapped in a large bird cage and vanishes down below. Winifred and then George return at this point, surprised but pleased that Miss Andrew has left. The group ascends to the rooftops where Bert introduces the children to his friends, the chimney sweeps. The sweeps' dance eventually enters the house, causing chaos. As the sweeps quickly exit, George receives a telegram from the bank requesting his presence there. George assumes that he has been fired and decides it's all time that it's time to sell the family heirloom. However, the vase is shattered accidentally by Miss Brill, who goes into a despairing shock since she had been cleaning it from the top shelf. When she is... Being led away for comfort, George goes to clean the broken pile himself to find it revealed a collection of gingerbread stars from his childhood. This leads to a brief moment of reflection for George. After shaking hands with Bert, George leaves to meet the chairman of the bank. At the children's encouragement, Winifred decides to follow her heart and be at George's side of the bank. Unseen to anyone else, Mary takes Jane and Michael into the sky to follow where they watch the unfolding events. On his way to the bank, George encounters the bird woman and gives her tuppence to feed the birds. At the bank, George is surprised to learn the consequences of his choice. Far from ruining the bank, he has made a fortune by both rejecting Von Hustler and approving Mr. Northbrook's loan. They ask for the word that made him so successful, which George admits to be Mary's word. Winifred, arriving to defend her husband, finds instead he is the hero of the hour. After she mentions Miss Andrew's name to the bank manager, the old man too relates his experience under the holy terror. Winifred convinces the manager to quadruple George's salary. George apologizes for underestimating her, and together they return to the house. Mary and Bert take the children across the skies, and they see everyone they meet along their journey, including Mrs. Corey, Nellius, and even Miss Andrew, 
who kindly shakes hands with Michael. Mary realizes that with the family reunited and happy, her task is done. With regret, she says goodbye to Bert and a kiss on the cheek and sets off. Jane and Michael accept that Mary is leaving them and tell her that they'll never forget her. The two children watch as their parents waltz happily together and Mary flies high above the audience. The The end. discuss the parts that we liked, we didn't like. Tra la 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 la. <laughs> so all those things. So this show okay, this was a mixed bag for me, okay? I know this is new. I feel like every time we've discussed a show for the You're last like, 30 episodes, it. yeah. This is probably the first show I think that I'm like, mm, I'm lukewarm. I have a reputation for not liking the show as a whole, but let me explain a few things first. Because in hindsight, I actually think I did enjoy the show. There were a few things, like the spotlights, that, and I'm going to get into that later, or like Mary Poppins being really moody and like harsh mm-hmm. and whatnot, that I was like, this is really off-putting and I'm not really enjoying this. But then like when it was a little explained to me a little bit better, like it's based off the book, not the Disney movie. I was like, Oh, okay. And it should be noted. And, and I don't know if I should be ashamed or whatever. I think I'm about to be booed. I'm going to like be in bed one night and I'm going to wake up suddenly and be like someone over in England or Belgium or something is booing me for this. I have never seen the Mary Poppins film. I have seen clips of it. Like when I was in band in middle school, I remember, I think it was like the end of the year or some, like, you know, one of those free days, like after a concert or something, they'd always put either Newsies or Mary Poppins on. Mm-hmm. You know, so I actually have never seen all of Newsies, the film with Christian Bale. I've seen most of it. I've seen the musical, so yeah, hey. But <laughs> oh, like, gosh. I've seen the opening of Newsies, and that's fine. But oh, like, gosh. I've seen clips of Mary Poppins, so like, I've seen, I know the, the tea party on the ceiling, because at one point everyone's like, you laughed just like this guy. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Um, I've seen the supercalifragilistic thing. I've seen the animated in the park scene. Mm-hmm. It's a jolly holiday with Mary. Yeah, I've seen that, right? But that's kind of like it. And so when we went to the musical, I was just like, you are not Julie Andrews. Like, homegirl is just mean, you know? And then when someone's like, well, you know, it's based off the book and she's a little more firm in the book. Mm-hmm. And it's more about like putting the kids in line and teaching lessons and that. I was like, oh, okay, well, no, hold on a minute. That makes a little bit more sense. Um, and then, of course, the fact that it was based more on the book, less on the movie, trying to be in its own thing. The fact that, like, the tea party in the ceiling wasn't there or the penguins weren't there. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can forgive this a little bit more. Well, and for me, it was definitely a mixed bag as well. I'm, I also have a hard time, most of the time I'm not the biggest fan of Disney musicals and that's just because I grew up loving the movies and memorizing the movies so much that at the point in time in which I saw this, I had a hard time, you know, understanding that the musical and the movie were two separate entities. 
Yeah, now that we're older and wiser, we understand why they... Yes, like, young, naive, ignorant me was like, but it was nothing like the movie, and that therefore that makes it terrible. I now know that they are their own separate creations, just like when you read a book and they turn it into a movie. They are their own separate wow. creations, it's and a... they are source materials making them their own thing. That still doesn't mean you have to like it. Well, yes, but I mean, it depends on the book. I'm sorry. Now that you've gotten me to read the Harry Potter books, I look at some of those later films and I'm like, you have cut so much out. You are doing so much Listen, wrong. Listen, Deathly Hallows makes no sense unless you've no, read the books. No, no. Yes, but, but we're not talking about that. No. <laughs> but like when they bring a movie and they bring it on the stage, they're, you can't recreate the film on the stage. You have to kind of make it your own. Exactly, because then what are you paying for? Exactly. Exactly. Well, and then some of the things that they do in the movie, you may not be able to recreate on the stage, especially more modern films mm-hmm. that use CGI and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, overall for me, the show was a fantastic spectacle, especially the biggest thing is, I mean, look, we're, we are reaching way back. I am but an old man. You know, I'm, I'm looking at my theater diary and I had to go back and look at clips and be like, remember the show, remember the show. It was over a decade ago. And as I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh yeah, this was a fantastical spectacle. Fantastical. I just did a Memphis thing. Mm-hmm. And it really intrigued and enticed the senses. Um, their colors, they were really amazing. The thing that sticks with me is the set. Everything about the set. Uh, we're going to dive into that. Um, I would say this was one, one of Disney's most enticing and elaborate productions. And if it's not like the most, I would say it's second to The Lion King. I mean, yeah, because Lion King is... If Lion King's the gold standard, then then I think Mary Poppins really does come in second. Just again, we're gonna get into we're gonna break things down a little bit more in just a moment. And then the difference between the musical and the movie were noticeable, but in my opinion, they were great. Like again, hindsight, now that I know what I know, I'm like, okay, that through line makes a lot more sense. And though we lost some of the fan favorite moments, we got a new version of the classic tale. Which I think is really important. Because we've already discussed, it shouldn't just be copy-paste, copy-paste, copy-paste. Art needs to keep regenerating itself. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's the point in doing a story if you're going to keep getting the exact same things out of it? There, you might as well go back to the original very, material. There's very few stories or shows out there that it's like, you don't mess with this, it's perfect. I.e. West Side Story. Don't mess with it. It's perfect the way it is. Don't try <laughs> to redo it. Leave it alone. Ooh, there, shady. What? Uh, no. <laughs> I, we could do a whole podcast about West Side Story, and I'm we, not throwing shade. We, we have done a whole podcast. Well, no, 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 on no. West Side no. Story. What, what I mean is, we could do a whole new, a podcast on West Side Story and and how it's been redone in all sorts of media. And I'm not throwing shade at the Steven Spielberg film, which I've seen. And I, I meant the Ivanhoe. And, and I and I and I enjoyed, but you know, I'll throw shade at the Ivanhoe, Ivanhoe production because everything that I've seen and read about it. No, you. You, you, there are some shows that it's like iconic and you have to stick to certain things. There are other shows that it's like you can reinvent the wheel a little and it won't hurt. Especially if you're dealing with a show that the original thing was 60 years ago or 50 years ago and the technology's changed and you're trying to update it. Totally fine, but I digress. You had mentioned the set. For you, the set was the best thing I thought the set was mesmerizing. I really did. 
Like, when the house came in, it was just epic. You want to talk epic, the giant umbrella that comes out of the floor. Mm-hmm. And it comes up uh, like it's, it's you know, uh, not unfurled yet. It comes out from the stage, right? The pair, and then it opens up. I was like, okay, look, it's a simple thing, but when you see something that size, whoa, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought all the chimneys were amazing because they looked like backdrops. And then when you start seeing the actors dancing on it, you're like, oh my God, yeah. those are platforms. That's so amazing. Yeah. I like that. The step in time scene, just that iconic silhouette of the background and everything mm-hmm. is just, that's a brilliant moment and it's beautiful and it's aesthetically pleasing. Yes. Um, I will say the time we saw it, the roof, got stuck. That's so they, right. I, so I was trying to remember. They were having issues with the automation and so the That's roof got it. stuck. Mary also couldn't fly in. No, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, yes, no. She couldn't fly in. Uh, okay, but she, she fly, fly out. for the first, t- like yes. the first entrance, but yes, yes, she yes. recovered well. But yeah, and so it just, the automation was having some difficulty at the time we saw, but it did not take away from how epic the set was. That makes more sense because in my theater journal, all it said was, Technically, it was all a mess. And I was yeah. like, what does that even mean, though? The automation was having lots of issues that Which day. Which we've... That... Like, but, but the technology was new. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds weird, but it really was. Because it was... It, it wasn't your typical track... In my opinion, it wasn't your typical track set or what have you. It, like you said, it was automation. Mm-hmm. So... But it was... The set was so impressive. And you and 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 before I get to Mary Poppins flying, I want to mention the park scene because it looked cartoony. It looked animated mm-hmm. the way the set was designed, and uh, those statues were just amazing. You know, so I love the ability that they incorporated the animation aspect of Mary Poppins into the show still. Yes, without making it be cartoony, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Mary Poppins flying, mm-hmm. and it was really cool to see her. To see that happen. I mean, you know, obviously we, why, or sorry guys, it's not a hoverboard or anything, but, but it was really impressive. It would have been great to see her come out over the audience, but when she leaves and the audience is showered with glitter confetti, Mm -hmm. it's so cool. You know, we were up in the balcony, but she flies over the orchestra and it's, and I mean, not just like, yes, spit spot over the first three rows, like over the entire orchestra. It was it was great. So complimenting the set would be the lights. And I'm going to go into this just Get for a the fingers, small moment. Tell me you got all this. Okay. Okay. So young me, who had just started my theater degree. And so you obviously know everything. I knew everything. All I was dissecting the show. Uh, and yes. there was one part that just drove me crazy that I it honestly... Ignorant me, it ruined the whole show for me. Looking back, I can now know that I was just being pretentious. But there was a scene where all of the family and Mary were all kind of singing together. And there were five people on stage, but only four spotlights were being okay, used. Okay, this is, this and is it, the thing. It I bugged me so much. Because it was like, why isn't everyone spotlighted? And yes. It just... it. 
Or maybe there was just the four of them and only three of them were spotlighted. All I remember is that dad was not spotlighted and it was bugging the crap out of me. Uh, okay, yes. It was like, like, it, and that's all I could think about is why doesn't he have a spotlight on him? Okay, but hold on a second. I'm going to add to that because here's the thing. There was that number, but it happened more than once in the show. I re- this is so remember everybody I mentioned before about the spotlights. If there were four characters on stage, there was only three spots used, and there's one that kept bouncing back and forth. And I was like, "What is going on?" And I at first thought, "Well, maybe they don't have enough spots." But I'm like, "Come on, they could have just brought another spot in. This is easy. This is easily fixed. Or they could have had a special light put in that mm-hmm. would just be set to be a spot." Something. It was very distracting. I didn't know if there was a spot out or something, but it was very distracting to see. They didn't like cut the spotlight and bring it on. It would bounce back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I and I, the one thing that and I they remember... Would be, the, well, they would be bouncing like while another character was spotlighted so that you're supposed to be looking at someone else, but then the light's moving, so you see a moving light and you follow it. And The thing that bothered me... You know, obviously five characters on stage, only four spots. But the one that really got me was, I remember specifically, it was uh, um, Jane, Michael, and Mary. Three characters on stage, four spots. And one kept moving. And I was like, what is going on? It bothered me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why I have the reputation of I don't like this musical. And I was like, well, no, no. no. I, I didn't like this one aspect. I don't know if this was a mistake. I don't know if this was a conscious choice. If it's a conscious choice, and we're being overly critical, maybe we're ignorant. I just want someone to explain why that happened. Mm-hmm. That's all I want, you know. And if it was a mistake, or if it was someone's first day, or a swing, or whatever it may be, who cares? I mean, it didn't ruin the show. The performance no. was so good, but... Being someone, being people who go to the theater all the time, these are the little things that we pick up on and we go, oh, oh." you know, we've seen shows, we've mentioned in the bulletin where it's like, well, the show was great. I did notice the wigs were getting a little frazzle-dazzled or, you know, we just noticed these little nitpicky things. That's just, you know, when you see over 300 shows, that's, you're going to start to notice these little things. Right. So. And I mean, you know, definitely if it was a user error or mistake, you know, those things happen. And uh, that is in no way me trying to shame anyone who does that job because it's not an easy job. No. Like. But that's live theater. Exactly. That's and one of the best things about live theater is because it's, it's flawed. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfect. We get one shot to do it and it's like, well. Well, and I think that's why it's so important to keep an open mind when you go to theater. Because honestly, I think about it, and we probably should have... Like, I remember going, no, I hated the show. I don't want to watch it again. And it was just because the lights bugged me that I didn't even bother giving it a second chance. And knowing that the performance was spectacular. Like, the 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 things that, like, Bert does, the dancing, the voice, all of it, you know, I should have given it a second yeah. shot. And there were good moments with the lights in a say, lot of other places. The spectacle of it all with the lighting was amazing. Um, the lighting in the statue garden really helped bring to life that animation effect. And what I really liked was all of the statues that were played by people had their own special and it just, it lit them just enough that they stood out. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you can imagine, like, there was a backdrop and everything that looked animated. And Mary and the children's costume looked 
the, the color palette looked animated and the way that the statues were lit were just so that like they popped and i mean that's that's brilliant so that it's visually appealing mm-hmm. you know so I, oh, yeah and um i think one of the best things for me <laughs> that i we just have to mention supercalifragilisticexpialidocious there it is folks got it mm-hmm. don't ask me to spell it on my on, on on my script in front of me, it just says super cala. Da, 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 da. Um, the colors and the lighting effects done for it, because as we'll get to when we discuss choreography, there was a lighting effect for every syllable at one point. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like flash, 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 flash. It was like, no, a different lighting effect to emphasize the. Da, da, da. And I was like, to be the designer and try to deliver to the director like okay so this is what sue and this is what purr looks like and this is what cal looks like you know mm-hmm. with that giant umbrella too that's the other thing i think a lot of people forget because uh, it's like in a circus tent type right this umbrella comes out from the stage and opens up so if you had any lights overhead on the stage well <laughs> nope shadows so you're lighting from basically like the lip of the stage and the sides and the front. So kudos to the lighting designer for being able to, na- and, the, and the new Amsterdam theater. I mean, mm-hmm. it's huge. So I, it was cool for me. That supercalifragilist number. It you was supercalifragilist. Let's just go into choreography. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> it was incredible, the dancing in that number. I mean, in all of the numbers, oh. like that, supercal was great. Uh, Step in time. Guys, go to YouTube and look at these numbers from Broadway. Seriously. The, the, I, we've seen a lot of shows. And there, we've seen a lot of big dance numbers. But this one does stick in my mind because to be able to sing supercalifragilistic yada yada hooda. Um, and spell it. And they do spell, spell it, it. But to also memorize choreography to each individual syllable. I mean, come on. And I understand, like, they probably rehearsed the crap out of that, and it's, like, muscle memory. But could you imagine, like, with it being muscle memory, if you mess one thing up, and then it's like, oh, now i got to think about it all. You know, it it was flawless. Mm -hmm. It was incredible. And then, of course, you've got the actress playing Mary Poppins, who I think she says two other words similar to it, and she says it backwards or something. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, forget about it. Yeah, no. Forget about it. That's an amazing feat. Well, and um, the fact that Bert tap dances upside down on the proscenium. This was so cool for me. So I had I kind of checked out a little. Like, Supercalifragilistic brought me back in. And I was like, okay, I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then I think Step in Time happened... Near the end of the show. Near the end, and that was great. Oh, yeah, 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 because this is, he, he tap dances on the ceiling. They're all da 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 And then all of a sudden, like... He starts climbing the side of the proscenium in slow motion, but it's not like he's climbing it upright. He is walking. feet. Yeah, he's like walking feet on the side. His back is flat to the stage. And I was like, oh, yeah, kinda, that's kind of cool. All right, cool. He's probably just like in a harness or something. And then he gets to the top of the proscenium at the New Amsterdam Theater. So he's way up there. And he starts walking across the proscenium upside down feet on the proscenium mm-hmm. and he gets to the center and he starts to tap dance. I swear he was upside down for five minutes. 
And then he finishes, you know, everyone starts to sing and he starts to sing and then he hits that step in time. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I, I follow you. And I'm sure it's like a harness around the waist or something, but still like mm-hmm. that was to tap dance on the presidium. Like. What? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be in the room where, like, the director and choreographer was like, hmm, I got this great idea. Let's tap dance from the proceedings. Let's put him seven stars up mm-hmm. <laughs> and have him tap dance. You know, are you okay with this? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Then Bert and Mary's dance was beautiful. It reminded me of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. It's just so light. Oh, it's be- the-, the choreography was really great in this. It really was. It was so. Beautiful. And speaking of beautiful, could we talk about the costumes? Oh, God. I mean, I love a good Edwardian costume. I mean, Mary Poppins looked flawless in those dresses no, no, and no. those colors. Mary Poppins looked practically perfect oh, in those stop costumes it. and colors. Stop it. <laughs> I, no. I'm, you're not allowed to say that. I mean, she looked fantastic, yet she didn't look like she it wasn't too much yeah. and it wasn't too little. It was just right. Yeah, it, it was a balanced, perfect costume. The children looked perfect. Everyone looked, it just, it, it looked natural. It flowed. And like I said, the color palette was just visually satisfying. You would just look at it. It wasn't overwhelming. You weren't, you know, sometimes there are shows that you look and it, it's meant to like, I get not even shocked, but just like, ah, like I'm thinking of like Jag Little Pill. There were moments that just the colors you saw were meant to stun you maybe or take a back mm-hmm. and there's other shows that we've seen that make you lean in a little because it's dim or something like that or give you a certain feeling you know you see a lot of these colors and they make you feel warm or in love or something this just was meant to be it almost felt to me like an impressionist painting okay like it just felt like we were looking at different paintings in a, in a museum and it was just perfect everybody was perfect it was perfectly and composed balanced and, and yes yeah and and about it complemented the set perfectly and the lights all of these design elements really worked in tandem and it just gelled and i think you working in a design element you know for so long i i mean i've heard from you when you've worked on shows where you're like so you know it's easier to fix lights than it is to fix like hair or makeup Costumes or fabric colors. Exactly. And I feel like these design elements really just work together to give the best result. And and we got that, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, The iconic parrot umbrella. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't just like from afar. It was like, we're just going to make it so it kind of looks like a parrot. Like it was detailed. Mm -hmm. That incredible parrot umbrella. I have to mention the statues. Because here's the thing. What I love about Disney. (laughs) Okay. Go watch Disney movies from like the 90s. Like we watched the Santa Claus the other day. And like Disney movies from like the 90s compared to Disney movies today. I don't know why, but Disney is like swinging in the hardcore, like really super G direction now where they were a little closer to PG in the 90s. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you have, you have the dams and the hells and Santa Claus, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and, and that was Disney. Like Disney was a little bit more like relaxed kind of thing. Well, the statues did not leave a ton to the imagination. 
they were bodysuits, and like I just remember like the 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 the. I think it was a backdrop that flew out and showed the park. And I was like, oh, my. Like, this is a Disney show. And oh, my. You know, I, I, I understand it's art. But I was just like, for a Disney show. Cool. And I'm hoping maybe it's just because it's Broadway. And we can push. We can do that a little bit more. But I would just remember thinking that. I was like, hmm. All right. Um, We talked about the Mary Poppins costumes being flawless. Uh, oh, Bert! I want to talk about Bert's costume real quick. Mm-hmm. It was perfect in that they had just the right amount of dirt and like dingy to it. Like he didn't look like. How do I put it? I, I know he always says, but like he looked just dirty enough. Yes, like it was. It wasn't like someone rolled him in. He didn't look like Gavroche from Les Mis, where it was like I'm, he's a poor beggar boy. He just looked like mm-hmm. he was a working man. Yes. And he was still lovable, and it was like, I want to hug you, but you kind of look like a working man that's dirty. Yes. So, I'm good. Um, as for the music, it's classic, and it's recognizable for the most part, you know. Oh, and yeah. I mean, there were a couple of songs that, eh, like Mrs. Banks's songs, while they're beautiful, just didn't hit right for me. I left humming, like, the old familiar tunes. Chim chimini, chim chimini, chim chim chiru, and all that. But I also left like singing one of the newer songs, you know, practically perfect in every way. Mm-hmm. You know, so the fact that I left the theater with songs in my head, that's a good sign for the music. Yes. You know, um, so, but I thought the music was, was clever. I thought it was good. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, it was definitely a hummable tune. Uh, yes, Jerry Herman. The show has had several notable performers, including Gavin Lee, Rebecca Luker, Laura Michelle Kelly, and Christian Borle. now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. So for theatrical impact, it was another Disney blockbuster musical. Yes. And I think that's important uh, because prior to Mary Poppins, you had had a few Disney flops and Tarzan, The Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Um, Aida I don't think was a flop. I think it actually recouped, but I don't I, I don't know much about Aida to say here nor there. I think it was, it, it did well. Um, but, you know, Mary Poppins really kind of showed that Disney was back and, hey, we've got stuff. Still waiting for Hercules. But, um, yeah, so it was another Disney blockbuster musical. Mm-hmm. Um, it was another classic fan favorite brought to the stage. Yes, like it's kind of one of those, like a movie that has like a cult following. Yes. Yes, because Julie Andrews. Yes, we love Julie Andrews. Mm. It gave it was it gave the audience something they hadn't seen before, and 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 that is in two elements. It was um, an actor flying above the audience, and not just like I said, over the three rows, like literally over the entirety of the audience, mm-hmm. and then tap dancing on the ceiling of the proscenium. Mm-hmm. 
incredible things. Keep in mind, I don't, if I remember right, Spider-Man hadn't come out yet. No, it hadn't. You know, and I, Spider-Man flying over the audience is one thing, but this was, yeah. Um, and this was another show for younger audiences. Yeah, I think it was really theater going, we want to be accessible for all Families. ages. Doing the doing the Vegas thing. We're a family place. <laughs> oh, family. Exactly. A little Linda Belcher for you on, on this. <laughs> um, as for so, so, uh, societal impact. So, 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 societal impact. Uh, having a little bit of a stutter there. Gary and Shush. <laughs> it's my day off. <laughs> societal impact. Um, it offered an escape to audiences during a time of war and recession. It's really kind of all I could come up with. This was uh, 2000, uh, what did I say? 2006 and 2012, I think I said. 2006, 2013. I think so. That feels right. Did we write when it closed? Uh, 2013, I believe. Anyway, it was during the time when basically the war in Afghanistan and the war in Iraq were going on here. And it's important to note... Yeah, 2006 to 2013. It's important to know, you know, I, I don't think that these had the same effect as like World War II or something, but still, our country was at a time of war, and then, of course, the Great Recession and whatnot. And so there were a lot of people that wanted to escape all that. Yeah, we definitely were in an era of escapism and just wanting to really, like, nostalgia, go back to our childhood, yes. think back to better times. Yes. Yep, 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 exactly. And that's kind of all I could really come up with a societal well, impact. Well, you this know, was... it, it, not all shows have to have a huge societal impact because, no. you know, sometimes you need a glass of lemonade instead of a cup of coffee. Yeah, this was just a fun show. And that's yeah. fine. That's fine. So, is this show still relevant? I, and this is me, this is me, I think this show is perfect for regional or community theaters, but for Broadway, I don't think now is the time for a revival of it. I think its purpose or presence is being filled by other shows currently playing. So I would say it's best served playing at a regional or community house. Yes, because I think that it's a great accessible show for uh, regional and community theaters. So I think that it's um, you know relevant for those houses to perform it because, you know, sometimes we just need fluff in our communities. Well, and it's um, an easy show for people. When I say easy, it's like, well, well the material's well known. And you and also don't have to add in all the crazy, you know... Choreography and special effects and Exactly. That. You can still do just the simple story without going all crazy town and... And the audiences know the name, so it's, it'll sell easier. Yeah. Exactly. we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So we've already mentioned we, we did see the show. We saw it once back in 2010. Um, this was the first time we attended a show at the New Amsterdam Theater, which I understand why they call it the Jewel of Broadway. I mean, it's it is. Gorgeous. Oh, it is a gorgeous theater. I, I highly encourage you all out there, if you get the chance, go see a show at the New Amsterdam Theater if for nothing else, just to see the theater itself. I mean, itself. it's a piece of 
theatrical history. I, I'm still thinking back to when we saw Aladdin, just looking at all the molding on the inside. And, and all the pictures they have up from the old shows. I mean, this is this is the crown jewel of Broadway. This is where Ziegfeld... Did his follies. And he had his office upstairs and everything. And it's just... The theater is remarkable inside. And oh, it's beautiful. Um, I remember not thoroughly enjoying the show at first, but like I said, after time... I re- realized what it was, and I've come around to it. I would say this was a, this was a win, and I would see it again. I had, and in fact, I did have plans to get us tickets to see it again, and then it closed. I was like, "Dang it!" Mm-hmm. Um, and then for me, I this became a running joke for me because we came back, we were on an improv team and everything, and. Everyone asked, because I hadn't seen Mary Poppins the movie, oh, how'd you like the show, blah, blah, blah. And I mentioned, like, I really didn't like it, blah, blah, blah. And that became a running joke with everyone, you know, when we would get suggestions for something. Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins, Mary Poppins. And I was like, oh, because I really don't like that show, and I don't get it, oh. You know, I just kind of ran with it, because it was easier to just run with it than explain. But here we are now, 10 years later, and I'm like, let me set the record straight. Right. You know. Uh, finally, at least for me. I don't know if you have anything else you want to jump in with. Not really. Just because the show, like I said, didn't really resonate with me. It didn't really click with me. Um, you know. So then finally for me, I just really remember meeting the cast afterwards, particularly Christian Borle. This would be the second time that I got to meet him. First being with Legally Blonde. And he was still just as nice as Ever. Uh, and he was amazing as Bert. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Again, tap dancing on the ceiling. Get out of here. Like, oh, I can't get that out of my head. He, I've never seen Christian Borrell in anything I didn't like him in. Seriously. Mm-hmm. I. That's the guy that, you know, honestly, I don't go see shows typically for who's in it. There's very few actors that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to go see him because, you know, Patti Lapone. Uh, Nathan Lane, Allison Janney. Good for Cecily Tyson. Well, she's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so for uh, all yeah, those yeah, other people you listed. Yeah, well, I know, but you know what I mean? Like, more often than not, like when like big wig names, like Denzel Washington or something, because of Broadway, I'm not going to go see the, the show because of that person. I might be going to see the show. But I would go see a show because Christian Borrell's in it. I don't care what the show is. It could be Christian Burrell reading the phone book. Mm-hmm. You know, Yellow Pages starring Christian Burrell. Fantastic. Just because I've never seen a show with him that I, like, I didn't like him or I didn't like the show. Mm-hmm. So, and then, like I said, he's just so nice afterwards. So, Well, with things returning to a new normal, I hope, I think, <laughs> we hope to see this show again. Hopefully you'll be able to catch Mary Poppins at a theater near you sometime in the new year. We just want to take a quick moment to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. We hope the spirit of the season touches each and every one of you. So from all of us here at Stage Whisper, we wish you a very happy and safe holiday season. Until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Wrap your candies and please keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you.
If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Kevin McLeod, Jesse Spillane, Jazzar, and Billy Murray. That's where I long to be with a friend so dear.